Hello and welcome to another episode of Charles Weekly Party. This episode, I'm all bricked up. But before we get started, let's roll the intro. Alright, first and foremost, um, I need to point out that where I am right now, it is pretty darn warm. And I don't know if you can hear it in the background, but I certainly can. There's a whole chorus of crickets. So if you hear that, well, you happen to know that I'm recording this at night. So anyway, the other piece of recording this at night is also so that I'm not recording it in the heat of the day, which unfortunately for me, was, what's the word for it? The heat of the day today was 90 degrees. At least that was the listed high. I don't know what it actually got up to. So, the long and short of it is that it is pretty darn hot where I'm recording this still right now. And, well, that, that's going to make things a little bit interesting. So if you're somewhere that has similar heat or even worse heat, uh, my sympathies go out to you. I know it's not, I know the heat isn't exactly fun for me, but I know that there are some people who actually love, who are loving it. And all I have to say is really hope you're enjoying it because you're getting a whole lot of it. But when I said I'm talking a little bit about bricks today, well, this time I'm talking about metaphorical bricks. So, I'm going to start off by talking about a design by Red Brick Studio. And this is located in Panchet, India. So, what this is, is a weekend home cradled by the mountains of the Western Ghats. And... When it was built, it was designed to be a getaway from city life. So it wasn't designed as a, oh, let's, as a, in the middle of everything, enjoying the life, all that fun stuff. It was built as a, let's get away from all the hustle and the bustle. Which, once you deal with enough hustle and bustle, is a very nice idea. So... Contrary to my usual philosophy, the project, according to the architects, was built to blend in and not stand out. Whereas my philosophy is to blend in and stand out at the same time. And I do have to say, contrary to what they said, I think it actually gets a little bit closer to my philosophy. It doesn't quite hit the nail on the head as to what I call... Um, fitting in but standing out, but it's interesting nonetheless. Now, when the client was having this particular um, house designed, it was very important to have larger open spaces to be able to have large family gatherings. And I know for, or I have a couple of friends um, who are Indian, 
And they, when they have family gatherings, they have a lot of family there. So it's, I can see full well the importance of having a large open space for that. And I'm not saying that everyone has always has the big family gatherings. I am just I am just using it as a uh, more of a fully understand clause. Now, with the large open space, which ends up serving as a living and a dining room, there are on one side is the kitchen, a bathroom, and a bedroom. And on the other side are two mirrored bedrooms. When I say mirrored, I mean if you look at the floor plans, it looks like someone drew out one side of the floor plan and then just flipped, flipped the page over and flipped the uh, room over a wall and had the second one there. And I do think that's sort of interesting move. Um, I'll mention about each, with each of the bathrooms, you have, each of them has their own, um, full bathroom inside, uh, whereas the, and the bedroom on the kitchen side, though, does not have, is not directly connected to a bathroom, it is adjacent to one. But, um, ha each, having, having one bedroom and, or, I really messed that one up. Having one bathroom for every bedroom, I think, is a spectacular idea. Because, realistically speaking, um, anytime you have uh, more people than bathrooms, or more people in a confined sort of spot and less bathrooms, it gets it can be a little bit adventurous. And the less bathrooms that you have, um, the more trouble someone can be in if they, if they and everyone else decides that they need to use them at the same time. So this is, by all means, a design move that I fully support and I think should actually be a more normal uh, thing. What's so special about the bedrooms being mirrored and having the, uh, the whole bathroom connection and whatnot? What that does is it sort of it actually ends up creating a subtle sort of line of symmetry, even though this is not symmetrical. So, and by so by not symmetrical, I mean the there are some pieces that you could say have some elements of symmetry to them, while it is while the whole um, house itself is not fully symmetrical. So I think giving that little element of symmetry actually shows that yes, we could put symmetry in here, and yes, we did put a little bit of symmetry in here, but we're not going to make everything symmetrical. The whole thing with symmetry is if, as I mentioned with the mirror image, if you see something on one side, you're expecting to see basically the exact same thing on the other side. And veering from that symmetry actually gives an element of surpri surprise. Now, 
if you do happen to be fortunate to be staying in the bedroom closest to the kitchen, well, you're going to get the wonderful privilege of waking up and smelling the coffee, assuming you're not the one who's waking up and making the coffee. So I guess that that's the ideal spot to, uh, I don't know, what's the word? For the early riser, that's the ideal bedroom. And if you're willing to sleep in a little bit more, that's where the other two bedrooms come into handy, or come into, um, come, come into use. Now, it's nice to talk about all of the stuff inside, but we need to talk about the custom entryway, which if you view a rectangle, you have on two opposing sides of that rectangle, the kitchen and the, um, two bedrooms. And on the other two longer ends of the rectangle, you have your entryways. So each of the, for each of the entryways, you have sliding metal panels. And what the sliding metal panels do is you can open them up a little bit or you can open them up a lot of bit. And if you open them up all the way, you have, they retract perfectly into the walls so that it just seems like that main central space connects with the outdoors fairly easily on both sides. And the other thing that that ends up doing is really um, fine, er, finalizing the central um, sort of aspect of that space because now it's not just you're in between the bedrooms and the uh, kitchen, but now that central space is the center of you're eating, or you're eating and cooking, you're sleeping and resting, and nature itself. And I consider nature to be a very primary ingredient in any good architecture because if you don't have any good connections to nature then well you're you're taking focus away from something that's absolutely stunning last a couple of things that are that I feel should be mentioned um, on the outside you have the curved roof you have a curved roof which actually ends up being um, pretty much an inverse curve of the curve of the archways, which is inside of the uh, inside of the kitchen area, which is actually quite um, fascinating. But you also have a um, pretty efficient draining system because if you think about it, having what's essentially a gigantic gutter on the top of your roof, and I'm not saying it looks like a gigantic gutter, but functions like one, the water needs will need to go off of the ends and it has pretty efficient draining to be able to do that. Now, throughout all of my discussion of the Cove House here, I haven't once mentioned the material palette. And that I'm sort of saving as the... I'm saving that as sort of the icing on the cake. 
because that's or that I need to put closer to where I'm putting my personal thoughts on the entire um, on the entire structure itself because if you look at it the walls both interior and exterior use a um, use a tone of red that you'd actually expect to be seeing on on your average brick I'm not talking about dark red I'm not talking about um, what do you call it the uh, dark red or what ends up looking like a brown but I'm talking about your standard red brick color which coming from um, a design firm called Red Brick Studio, I think is quite fitting. But the roof, or, or where I'm or where I'm drawing the connection here, the roof is a gray color, very similar to a mortar. And by mortar, I mean the mortar that you're using between bricks when you're doing or when you're um, actively doing masonry not a uh, war mortar and then everything else outside of that immediate area is um, has various wood tone out you have some wood you have some glass and you have some stone but taking that main you're taking the main part of the cove house into account there it's almost as if the, the piece is designed to look like a non-average um, brick this may just be my interpretation but having uh, what's basically brick colored with a roof over it that's the color of the mortar that you'd use with a brick I think really creates a sort of attribute of putting the house into the mindset of a brick. And it does this in more than one way. And again, I'm, I'm doing interpretation here. So this may or may not be what the architects actually thought about, but um, I'm, I'm hoping to get, or I'm hoping that my um, interpretation is pretty close. Having, if you have a brick, right? You have one solitary brick. Doesn't do much, does it? Sure, the brick, when it's combined with a whole bunch of other things, or a whole bunch of other bricks, becomes, or can become part of a masterpiece. But on its own, a brick isn't all that much. And... Realistically speaking, if you don't want your bricks to go too far on you, you're going to want some system of connecting them to one another, which is what the mortar's for. So in this case, the Cove House having sort of a brick-like nature to it symbolizes that the house itself is meant to be part of something larger. It's uh, what do you call it? It's cradled by surrounding mountains. So it's not what it's... What Part of the symbolism here that I'm seeing is that you have that, that house, and it's not designed to be the masterpiece. It's designed to go with something else, which is the surrounding mountains 
and the views that that creates to make a masterpiece. When the owner had this uh, house designed, it was designed as a weekend house and designed to be able to host uh, family gatherings as well. Now, a weekend house is designed to... A weekend house, by nature, isn't something where you're spending the majority of your time in. It's meant the weekend house is just part of a part of your um, altogether routine. So the weekend house by itself is not or does not provide anyway. The owner mentioned that this is designed to be a weekend house, and that means that this whole system, this weekend house is a part of daily, a part of overall um, life for, uh, for the owner, but it's not the key piece. It's just a, it's a part. So in this case, the owner's um, overall residence is provided by a dwelling place in the city and a weekend sort of getaway spot to not have to deal with the hustle and the bustle to separate work attitude from relaxing weekend attitude. So, while I don't feel, or while the material choice doesn't necessarily um, strike my fancy well, what it, the symbolism that it ends up creating I think is where the real masterpiece is. And taking just the house into account doesn't do much, but you need to take in the overall surroundings to get it to stand out but blend in. But as much as I'd like to keep talking about uh, the Cove House, I need to stray away and talk about a different kind of brick. The kind of brick made out of computing components that altogether form what's called a graphics card. Because New World MMO um, Beta has been bricking RTX 3090 cards. So this game, which is produced by Amazon Games, has caused multiple accounts of EVGA uh, 3090 cards being bricked after playing the game. And after a little bit of looking into, uh, and people, or multiple people pointing out the issue, um, it became pretty quickly aware that it, or pretty quickly evident that it wasn't a um, standalone incident. And there are or that it wasn't a, just a coincidence. So looking into it, the game um, didn't have a frame cap, which in this particular case meant that it could send basic. It could ask the graphics card to basically do unlimited frames, which then causes it to overwork itself, and subsequently not be able to work. So the problem has been sort of fixed in two ways. And before people get too, too worried about it, um, I think 
to the best of my knowledge, this incident has been limited to this one run of cards between the game and the firmware causing problems. And they are considerably expensive, so not so it's not something that everyone's going to have. It's something that only a few people are going to actually have. But still, if, when you're spending um, close to $2,000 on a graphics card, the last thing you want is for a single game to turn that into a brick. And not a pretty-looking brick that you can use in masonry because you can't use a graphics card in um, masonry. You could put it on your wall as a decoration afterwards, but that's about it. Aside from that, it's a fancy paperweight. So, back to how the problem was fixed. And I'm saying fixed in sort of air quotes. First, the game has had since had a frame cap limiter placed in so that the frame rate of the game doesn't exceed the um, or doesn't try and overwhelm the graphics card. And the second sort of fix to it is um, EVGA has announced that it will replace cards that were bricked as a result of playing this game. Which is very good because um, I don't know, I, I know exactly how I'd feel if um, if I had a $1,900 graphics card that I open up a game and all of a sudden the graphics card and my um, toolbox have the same amount of usefulness and the same amount of weight. Uh, taking that back, toolbox has tools in it so it's actually more useful than the graphics card. That, that's where my um, talking of bricks is going to close for the day. The other, the other two things that really caught my attention this past week are looking at something called Pegasus Spyware. The Pegasus Spyware was released by, or created by NSO Group, which is an Israeli company. And they end up licensing it to governments, although I think they have a set of terms and conditions that you're supposed to follow. And if you don't follow, you don't get access to the tool. But this is a particular, particularly um, devious tool, in my opinion. Because what it does is it allows for something called a zero-click attack, which means that you don't... As the device owner, you don't even need to put input. You don't need any input to actually go and have it um, get on, have that spyware get onto your device. And that means it could be you can do something as simple as open up an email, or someone who has access to your device can install it. And this affects both iOS and Android, even if they are fully patched up with all the security updates. So if you are fully, if you have every single patch you're fully updated on your device, this can still get you. And when I say get you, it's something that you have to, or someone has to deliberately send your way. And last I checked, their only, their NSO group is only licensing it to governments. Because for, in private use, this could be taken very far out of whack. So what... What, what's so bad about this spyware is not 
not just how it can get onto your device, but what it can do. And what it does is it allows surveillance of your phone from, and by surveillance, the uh, spyware can transmit to whoever placed it on there. It can transmit a bunch of information, including SMS messages, emails, um, chats with something like uh, WeChat. Uh, what else is there? Your photos or your videos. It can activate your mic or your camera. It can record calls. It can access GPS data, your calendar, and your contacts. And yes, that may sound like a long list because it is a long list. And I guess the other interesting thing is that there's no real solution for prevention and there's no easy way to tell if you've gotten that um, on if that's gotten onto your device although I think there is an online tool um, don't know exactly what tool it is but there is one and if you're concerned be cautious looking for tools because once again you can this is a zero click thing which means if you go to the right place I don't know if anyone else is messing around with it but you still run the risk of, um, if you're not cautious, getting something like the spy or something along the lines of the spyware on your device. And whenever someone knows that there's a vulnerability, people are going to be checking for. That is the easiest time to try and have a tool that you can download actually be malicious itself. So, while there isn't a real solution, there are a couple of trusted way so do your research if you if you are concerned about whether or not you may have been affected by this it's not likely to the best of my knowledge but this is just um, getting out there the breadth and scope of how many devices have this isn't quite yet known so best you can do is hope and pray and I'm going to speedily finish off this episode by talking about uh, well let's just say someone really breaking the speed limit the speed limit of the internet that is so Japan has managed to break the internet speed limit or internet speed record I should say with a um, reading of 319 terabits per second so the previous record for fastest internet speed was 179 terabits per second, but which is still pretty incredible. And I can guarantee you right now, whatever network you have at home is not going to have this kind of speed. And this speed record was, or what makes it even more fascinating, is that it was done over... 1,864 miles of distance in the form of um, coiled cables. So if you, if you think about it, you get a, let's say you go to the store, you get a 50-foot Ethernet cable. You plug one end into your computer and your router's on the same table, so you plug the other end into that. The cable may only be traveling a foot from the computer to the uh, router, but you're actually, this data is traveling 50 feet through the wire. And that's using that same sort of principle um, with by simulating distance there. So having that much cable or 
that much fiber optic, uh, I should say, in, coi in a coiled form to be able to simulate that distance. And for those of you who don't necessarily know what I'm talking about, that equates to um, roughly 40 terabytes in one second. So if you have your, if you have an account with Microsoft for OneDrive, that will likely have, if you have the paid plan, you'll have a terabyte worth of storage per person. So if you've filled that up with cat photos, which means you have a very large amount of cat photos, that means you could download that in, you could download that in 1 40th of a second. Um, and 40 terabytes, or so that, that's about the measure of a terabyte, and I'm, tr I'm trying to figure out off the top of my head the easiest measurement of data that everyone's going to have easily accessible to them. Uh, let, I'll just say this. The average... Um, uh, I do want to be cautious. I'm, I'm just going to say this. Your average MP3 ends up being, if you have an average length song as an MP3 file, it's about five um, megabytes. So think about it. So whatever you're doing, every time you listen to a song, think about that as five megabytes, which you need a thousand megabytes to create a gigabyte and a thousand gigabytes to make a terabyte. So instead of watching or taking watching a uh, song download to your device you know watching that download with an internet with internet speed like this you click down the moment you click download the download would end up being done before your finger releases from the um or lifts off of the mouse click which for me is impressive So, with all that being said, I do hope you've enjoyed this episode of Charles Weekly Part T, uh, which is episode 21 of season 21. And my, my closing thoughts are just, uh, put, let's, we can push the limits of things. And back, if you think about it, it used to take 10 minutes to load up um, email, and your when you loaded up that e the email, it didn't do as nearly as much as it does today. So we've gotten far, and it'll be interesting to see it, how much faster we can get. And I, I will say, though, that that terabits per second isn't coming to your house anytime soon. So, if you did enjoy this episode, I invite you to subscribe so you don't miss any future episodes. And if you go to anchor.fm slash charlesweeklyparty, you'll find links to all of your favorite podcasting platforms as well as all of our previous episodes. And you can also, on Anchor, interact by leaving a voice message, or if you desire, you can also support the podcast. 
If you're listening on Apple Podcasts and you enjoyed this episode, please be sure to leave a review. And um, you can almost always see the action on YouTube. So last week's episode, um, episode tw um, 20 of the season, was not released with, on video because I was on the road and didn't have access to a reasonable set. So that was just the way things ended up panning out for that. And here, but this week it's back, so we'll we'll see how things go. And um, I, I have mentioned in previous episodes that I'm thinking of taking a, a couple of weeks off and not consecutive weeks off, so that um, you're not stuck with uh, Charles's monthly party. So uh, we'll we'll see. I will announce a week in advance when you're not going to be getting an episode. So, take care, have fun, and let, let your imagination run wild because everything, everything, was, everything we see around us was once someone's imagination and now it's become reality. So, don't limit your imagination and your creativity. Take care and have a good one.